Hello, welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast of news, culture, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the smoggiest city between Beijing and Chongqing. I'm Jared. Joining me today at the Five Points Media Center are Ron, Vanessa, and Joel. Hey guys, how's it going? Good morning. How morning. was uh, how was your Fourth of July? Uh, it was great. I spent it with Joel and you. That's so right. So nice. I already know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you asking yeah. me? Hey, Why are you asking the, redundant questions? This is banter, man. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, is what people do. I, I I saw a great I saw a fireworks show that was fabulous from Six Flags. Uh, it was it was oh. outstanding. Okay. Well, we'll talk about fireworks in a second. Uh, as usual, behind the glass, Julian Mondragon. Hello. Good morning. And uh, so topics this week, beer and politics. Should state law be changed to allow craft brewing brew pubs to get bigger and brewier? And The Onion recently closed out the Denver AV Club, and word has leaked that all the online archives will be removed from the interwebs. We've been uh, talking a lot about this, and it makes no sense to anybody. But later in the show, we'll be bringing on Mike King. He's a local visual designer who formerly worked at The Onion, and he'll be giving us some insight into the complicated business relationship that led to the demise of the AV Club and its archive. Um, But first... Let's go through some newsy bits, as we mentioned, Fourth uh, of July newsy, fireworks. Newsy, what was, newsy what was the fireworks. amazing fireworks display? It was it was at Six Flags. Um, so we left. We we had a barbecue at Joel's house. Thank you, Joel. And no uh, we went to right after that. We went down to Confluence Park and sort of climbed up over the bridge. Uh, we were on the other side, just right on the other side of Fifteenth. Sat on the side of yeah. a grassy hill with a whole bunch of people, and we were like, we figured we were going to be able to see fireworks off in the distance inside of Six Flags or the fireworks that were going to be going on at Mile High Stadium. No, they were right there, right in front of our faces. It was beautiful. It was, it was really cool. What time did those go on? I started at 10, and it went for about 20 minutes. Yeah, that's super late, by the way. Hey, <laughs> I made my children nap. Well, there's all the... But they were supposed to go on at, like, dusk, and they delayed it. They, they, no, no, neither of those were supposed to start at dusk. They were both listed as that time because the Mile High Stadium, uh, I'm sorry, what is it? Sports Authority Field at Mile yes, High. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. That one was supposed to start as soon as the out Denver Outlaws game ended, and it didn't start until 7. And then the Six Flags one was always listed at 10 p.m. because they didn't want to compete with the one that happened at Mile High. It actually worked out that they were both going on at the exact same time, which was kind of entertaining. I'm always confused by all these uh, this multitude of public fireworks displays. I can never figure out who's doing what. You know, you see them coming from Coors Field, and you think that's the official one. Uh, all of a sudden it comes out from Mile High, and it's just, it's just all so confusing. But the interesting thing is how the fireworks ban, you know, the statewide fireworks ban because of the – uh, wildfires, uh, how that affected people's behavior. Because in Denver, to light off personal fireworks, all the, you know, all yes. the, uh, the ones that leave and, the ground. Yeah. That's always been a ban. I mean, that's been around forever. And, uh, but still, you would always see every year people would be setting them off and, uh, you know, kind of flaunting the law that way. But it seemed to me that in Denver, at least, because I mean, there's no, there's not a real risk of, you know, 
in the middle of the city, us creating a, a huge forest wildfire. Presumably. But it seemed to me like there was something of a of a stigma. I bet we could have really it. tried. I, if we put our if we put our minds to it, we could we could start one. We could start one <laughs> with enough distance. You can definitely but, injure yourself or injure yeah. somebody else. Oh, yeah. It doesn't have to be. A, Did you guys notice less fireworks going off in your neighbor in your Much neighborhoods? Significantly fewer. Yeah, when we were downtown for the show, while people were waiting around, there were fireworks going off. Uh, there were people shooting off mortar shells and some of the bigger fireworks. That was definitely happening. But in general, no. There were, I didn't see little kids with sparklers, including my yeah. own children, which that is pretty odd. That yeah. I almost always yeah. see that. And sparklers are illegal. Even those weird little snakes, you know what I'm talking about? The little tablet that you light on fire. I love and it, that just grows. It, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just seemed to me like this year, people, even those are illegal. You know, people that otherwise would have either bought sparklers <laughs> or other things and kind of, you know, you just drive right up federal into unincorporated Adams County and you can buy as much as you want. But this year it was like even even sparklers, people were, there's a people huge forest fire. Uh, I think I had more up in Sunnyside. I think the really? city might have actually just donated their fireworks they couldn't use to Sunnyside and let the name. <laughs> there was a lot. There was a massive so? fireworks going on like late night yeah. before the July. Which to me, I kind of like that. I kind of think, see, I personally, as you guys, as you guys heard the other day, I'm I'm not a huge fireworks fan. Maybe I'm desensitized to He's all the crazy 3D movies and all this stuff. I just feel like fireworks haven't really changed that much. They're kind of do the same. Well, thing you're talking about public them. fireworks. Yeah, you're yeah, talking about like the things you light up. I never get that excited themselves. So for me. The added risk of, like, fireworks going off, like, in the local neighborhood, like, it adds a little something to it. It makes it a little more exciting because you, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. It's right there. Yeah. Well, it's much more yeah. fun to blow shit Somebody's... up yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. And catch other people's roofs. I think they should just, yeah. I think they should. I think they should ban, like, civic displays of fireworks just to let, like, folks, like... Run hog wild. Well, in a lot of places. Sort of establish a giant parking, like the Mile High parking lot. You can set off as many fireworks as you want there. Just have a big public. Can you shoot them at each other? <laughs> and, have, and have ambulances <laughs> well, standing by. But what yeah. about in Boulder, Vanessa? Because I, I'd imagine that you know, even someone throwing a cigarette butt on the ground, people are just aghast and will uh, you know rip their clothes off in, in terror. What? Yeah, it was uh, it was quiet all week. Um, the thing is that I, you know, it used to be around the Fourth of July, you would hear fireworks going off for like two weeks. You know, it was yeah. like yeah. people yes. would just be lighting forever. And I honestly, I haven't heard one. I think there were more, I heard more fireworks going off like at the end of May by some teenagers in the neighborhood than yeah. I have all around, you know, 4th of July. Well, hopefully these uh, wildfires will stop by this time next year so that we can start blowing shit blowing up like up true yes. Americans. Hooray! Um, so, Capitalist uh, and Silverman had their last radio show um, after eight years uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, this opened up a pretty big time slot for talk radio in the afternoon. You guys ever listen to Cap- radio no. news? You guys never listen to Capitalist and Silverman? No. Yeah, you got to give the station ID for folks that don't. K How, six thirty a.m. Kind of one of the people. I mean, I, I yeah. Yeah, you really don't no, know who Cap listeners are. I know, are? I know the art, but can, like the podcast listeners out there, our listeners, we'll we don't remember old fashioned radio. See, what this it was... is is there's this thing called broadcast radio. Where okay, people would would right. talk into microphones and it would go out into the air, into the, Wait, air. Into the air, into the air, and you'd have radio like smoke to your car. or like uh, what? Uh, yeah, it's never been explained. It's a <laughs> mystery. Does it use magnets somehow? Well, uh, <laughs> scientists have been studying this, uh, going through the historical <laughs> record in the in the age before podcast. But no, Capitalist and Silverman were, uh, you know, for a long time, one of the big, you know, the duo, the conservative and liberal yes. duo that um, in the afternoon they would talk about you know, political events going on here. Both of them are, are attorneys. Um, talk AM in the PM. 
Yes. Oh yeah. And it was so, a big deal. Uh, did you and hear now who they're, they're gone. being replaced by? No. Clear Channel has replaced them with uh, David Sirota, who has his show on right. AM seven sixty in the morning, and Michael Brown, uh, who who has had his own uh, radio talk show for a few years on uh, six thirty AM, the con- a conservative talk show. And now they're going to be paired together as the and rundown. Let's how, uh, the Michael rundown Bra- with Sirota and Brown. And let's explain how Michael Michael Brown rose to fame. Because uh, yes, it's, it's uh, not something you should really be proud of. I have to say. Well, do you want to explain it? Uh, <laughs> he was head of FEMA, right? Yep, correct. He was yes. head of FEMA uh, during the catastrophe in New Orleans, and he just yep. botched the whole thing, and that's how, that's how he became famous. Right? Yeah, and th- and this is what's so astounding to me is that you know his one uh, path to notoriety or to infamy, I guess, was being the guy who completely fucked up the response yeah. to Hurricane Katrina yeah. and this symbol of sort of the Bush administration's uh, ineptitude and, uh, you know, insider baseball putting someone like Michael Brown at the head of FEMA. And then he comes back to Colorado and has this successful... Right. How many, that's how you get a, a job at, at DU. Yeah. <laughs> how many people... Yeah, like, how many of the people can literally, like, lay claim to destroying an entire freaking american city which is what he did he basically destroyed a city he let the city he let the city you know right, it's right. like here godzilla here's our here's your own radio it show. doesn't matter because it, 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 you once your points. name is known people just forget people do oh. not remember these things so it goes away and you're like right. oh yeah you were you you were kind of a big deal right you must be a big deal because you gave you a radio show it doesn't they don't yeah. really particularly remember why <laughs> And they and they more so remember these vague details, like that he's with the conservative side of politics. That's really all that's relevant. Or maybe they just couldn't find anybody that would go head to head with Sirota. Sirota. Is he gonna have somebody like I'm bringing? I'm bringing the hurricane of talk radio here to Denver. <laughs> whoop, whoop. He's like, he's gonna have something like that because that might. I think he should. And oh, he, if he had a te- if he had a catch line. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, either way, it's gonna be them from three to seven p.m. Uh, kind of debating the, the issues of the day. But what do you think about this show, this pairing of David Sirota? What, what's sort of behind uh, the thinking? I don't, I don't know a lot about Sirota, like his personal life or what he's really like. But based on the way he speaks and the way he behaves on Twitter, I could imagine him being the sort of guy that carries around a pair of brass knuckles. I think it's going to be great radio. Yeah. I think they're going to get into it. I think they're going to probably hate life for a while until they get custom to arguing with each other. Well, that's funny because actually uh, Sirota and Michael Brown have had debates before. Oh, they and have. There, and there is, and, and there was um, some quotes from Sirota saying that there is a there is a mutual respect there. They're not looking to be uh, as, I guess, cable news uh, screamathon. They will want to actually bust into the issues, or at least that's what he says. Now. I hope they I hope they follow through with that because I would listen to it if if that's the case. My concern is that because. You do put this oil and vinegar together. It's going to be really like it's either going to explode into this cable news, um, you know, like a bullshit. hurricane, you're like saying? a hurricane, a hurricane, it's whip like, yeah. like a of hurricane, Italian yes. dressing, or right. they're going to, or they're really just going to kind of negotiate their their stances in order to to come off as more, um, uh, you know. Uh, understanding of each other's issues. You, and they're you not hope really they're not going to, going to compromise. I, I don't want them to do that. I also don't want them to be too explosive. And it seems like with this, the pairing of these two, they're, they are both so far on their uh, in their respective sides that it, I don't know where else it would go. So I, I, I hope yeah, they're Yeah, and it is wrong. interesting because I wonder, 
you know, because David Sirota is going to be leaving his uh, morning slot there on AM 760. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to it, but he will get some pretty big national guests oh, yeah. on. Yeah. You know, Matt Taibbi is always on there. He'll have uh, people from the nation. He'll, you know, get these national guests for what is pretty much like a regional news show or radio program, which always really surprised me. And I think that what's going on is he's able to, at the very least, you know, move into this afternoon slot, actually sleep in for once. But they're going to be fo- apparently focusing much more on local topics and issues. Um, so I, 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 you know, I haven't talked to Sirota about this or anything, but it seems that there's there has to be something in it that's appealing for him. Well, I think he also right. They're also going to have their own time slots. It's not just going to be the two that's of right. them together. So he still gets to have his show. Um, it's only going to be twice a week, but he'll get to have. I think it was. It's a two. They like two, alternate. Two hour so shows the last or hour of the show, one of them will host it solo, and they alternate on days. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, it it goes. Um, the first show, I guess, is on the sixteenth of this month, July sixteenth. So, I'll be interested in taking a listen and seeing what the rundown with Sirota and Brown sounds like. Uh, the other news that was uh, in in the papers this week was Denver is getting the new U.S. Patent Office, one of the new uh, uh, satellite offices for U.S. patent and trademark uh, facilities, and it's one of three other cities selected. And uh, apparently it's a a big deal because it'll generate at least $440 million in economic activity over the first five years. And that's me, like, can I I, I break right there? I was trying to figure out like how it would generate this this, this activity. Is it going to be like, all these crazy vendors going to be showing up with their like whirly gigs and going to need hotels? To well, stay I think that's in what and, it is. Uh, yeah. yeah, right. I yeah, kind of like that image. I want to see all these the crazy path. inventors like running around town, but like I have my whirly gig. Where do I go with it? <laughs> you know, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't mind that. No, I think it's mostly going to be uh, income coming from lawyers who are helping people uh, yeah. put together okay. patent packages. Yeah. yeah. But that's a big – I mean, the big deal. I mean, you're going to have – Who needs the Olympics when we have – When we have, when we, when we have huge bureaucracy. Yes. Yeah. So much better. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, sorry. I didn't mean no, to interrupt. But, just, yeah, but so, yeah, like big, you said, Ron, like the, the, all the attorneys, the sort attorneys, of like all the, the other businesses. The illustrators are, are going to be drawing the diagrams. Yeah. All the attorneys that are going to be fighting over patents now yeah. that they're going to be in there in town. The, the different uh, – Entities that are going to be rushing to the office at the same time and getting wedged into the door together, shoulder to shoulder. That should be really fun to watch. That always happens. We should put a it's camera. Amazing out. how often that happens. <laughs> yes, they'll Every, probably have one of those revolving doors. Yeah, though. they get stuck yeah. in well, there. And, and speaking of, it's uh, apparently going to open as early as September 2014. Okay. Uh, next year, uh, they're looking at sites maybe Stapleton, maybe downtown near Union Station, maybe the Federal Center. Uh, but either way, when it opens and those lines of crazy inventors are out there patenting things, uh, wh- what are the patents that you guys are going to be uh, showing up for and getting uh, your name on? What, what inventions or ideas, Vanessa, uh, do you want to patent? Well, I, I'm not really sure how it's going to work yet, but I was really inspired by the bath salts talk last week. And, and I was thinking, <laughs> you know, if you can sell these kinds of things over the counter, then we should really figure out a way to bottle the fire water that's coming out of the fracking wells. Oh. I mean, how many people would buy it just to see if they could catch yes. their drinking water on fire? Yeah. So I would like to bottle. Fresh yeah, and, and interesting. All- my my invention is also a packaging thing. You know, there's the the whole like we've just found the Higgs boson particle and that sort of thing, and we've got all these crazy scientists in Europe that are like creating little mini universes and things. So I was thinking you'd have like CERN in a can. You can you know how you can go get those certificates that say I bought you a star, honey. That you could do the same thing, but you have like a little tiny universe Ooh. in a can. So it's like sea monkeys. 
Like sea monkeys, but universes. Yeah. You can patent a, a little... A universe of like, sea monkeys. A, a <laughs> canned universe. Okay. Yes. <laughs> a universe of like sea monkeys. Like powdered? So you have to put water in like the sea monkeys did. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, okay. exactly. You just add a little powder to the can, seal it, and then shake it. Are you going to have the universe. really deceptive uh, advertising in all the comic books, too? Be like, here's your universe. <laughs> you have all these monkeys everywhere. Like, they don't... They're clearly not really monkeys. They're fucking flakes. You obviously shit. never had sea monkeys. They are magical. <laughs> they, are no, they don't look like the sea monkeys I saw in my comic books. Oh, no, well, no. My X-Men comic books never showed a sea you monkey. You didn't have a very good microscope. No, I'm sorry. Well, you'll soon you'll be able to buy a mini universe out of yes. the back page. And then the you'll know. Book. Yes. Joel, what's, 1995. Your, what's your patent? Well, well, I mean, it's funny you should bring this up this week because I was already getting ready to head to the patent line with uh, <laughs> my invention. Actually, I shouldn't say it's my invention, but I'm going to call it my invention. As you guys whoever have. patents it first, Yes, man. as you guys <laughs> saw on 4th of July, the hot dog shall never be the same. Why, and Joel? Because now hot dogs can be spiral cut. Spiral, spiral cut. cut your hot dog before you throw it on the grill. See, I'm excited for this invention because I watched you making the spiral cut hot dogs. And really, watching you do it was sort of... It was sort of grotesque, like you were mutilating. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, so what's, the, what's the process yeah. of spiring yeah, yeah. a hot but dog? I think I should help a, our listeners at home understand. If you had a understand. fancy machine. So you take your regular hot dog, and you stick it on a, on a stick or a skewer, okay? And you take and you take a knife, and make sure you don't cut yourself with a knife. And which, then you cut a hard. spiral all the way down. You, you cut a little curly cue yeah, around Yeah, all the way down screw. the skewer, all the cut. way down the hot dog. And you take it off the skewer. And throw it on the grill. And what's the benefit? And then of that? magic happens. What? what? It, it like magic. opens up like a flower. Have yes. you ever had one of those like blossoming green teas? It's yes. kind of like that. It's only like a blossoming hot dog. hot dog, only with processed meat. But uh, Joel, <laughs> so you're 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 gonna patent the idea of a spiraled <laughs> hot dog, yes. or that's it? No, we not, not, no, we not want a tool. Need, no, no, no. Yeah, you, you need to do the tool. You, tool? We, you need the just machine. Fine. You need I'll the hot dog lathe. You just crank the hot dog through. Yeah, you, and then you need I'll to buy. Both. You know, I'll you need to make all, all these devices. You need to be on uh, television with yes. paid programming. Yes. yes, and you need to pitch these things. Yes. The spiraled yes. hot dog. Imagine how much time you're going to save with Joel Warner's uh, magic spiraling. And if you machine. call right now, not only will you get the hot dog <laughs> lathe, you also get the special hot dog cutting knife with the lathe, but only if you call the next thirty minutes. <laughs> and by the way, a lathe is just a wooden skewer. Yes. <laughs> uh, so my operators my, are standing by. My, <laughs> my idea that I want to patent is because I've been so fascinated lately. I've been reading so much about all the three D printing machines mm, yeah. that have been going on. Yeah, three D printers. It's just Very astounding cool. that it can happen. That you can have a, a machine the size, and, and this is real. It's not science fiction. A machine the size of like uh, a microwave. You buy a cartridge, and you can print yourself a birthday cake. Yes, uh, and and you design it to your thing, and that this happens. I've seen videos. I've been watching these obsessively, and the idea that something like this could actually be happening here and now it makes me think that I just need to patent the most outrageous idea that I can think right now, and then in three years it's going to be happening, and then I can right? sell you know sell my <laughs> right. patents to the people who are actually doing the work. But what I would like to have is uh, a DVR or some sort of TiVo box that would record your dreams while you sleep. Oh. Oh, yeah. Very so while nice. you're sleeping, I think they already don't they already have something like this. I think. Well, I know they've. But they've can you now... also print them out in 3D after? <laughs> Maybe that'll that'll be that'll be a sub patent. But the idea that you can just like you know you have these crazy dreams and you always like what 
for the first five oh, seconds you wake God. up, you're like, that was the most amazing dream. I'll remember it forever. Uh, and then you're brushing your teeth and you can't remember. Uh, terrible. Totally. That's the, wor- the worst part about having dreams is not being able to remember them in the morning and waking up with this weird feeling that something happened and you're not sure what it was. Yeah, I, I had twins last night and it was awful. Really? Yes, they hatched. You actually had them? Oh, they well, hatched. No, uh, no, no. My wife had twins. But like she showed me a nest. There were eggs. They hatched, and then she, and then later I was like, I don't remember what happened. When did the twins show up? She's like, You were there. You cut the umbilical cord, and she whipped out a bloody pair of scissors. So yeah, this is bad. Yeah, I don't, and I actually, I don't I think I want remember the rest of the details. I might not three D print that dream. Ron. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if you can take that grotesque, horrific uh, dream from the from the depths of Ron's subconscious and just oh, you know oh, you know download it from your uh, yes. dream recorder and then play it for us for us all this. Right, scene. and then you could have all the like the little side businesses where people would take that and then convert it to VHS for your grandparents. Yes. Yes. Now you're thinking. Lots of patents coming out of Denver, Colorado, going to change the world. So listeners out there, what what ideas are you going to be standing in line to patent? Uh, Drop us a line. We'll maybe read it next week or or send us a a note on Twitter at Denver Diatribe. Or just send us your dream and we'll print it out for you. (laughs) Send us us your dream. Upload it. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll play it on the show. Uh, so the first topic I want to get into is the this uh, really good piece that was written on the uh, uh, latest word blog, Jonathan Shikes, the man who covers all the craft beer industry, all the Colorado beer man, Colorado beer man. He's he's Johnny on the spot when it comes to um, knowing what's going on in that industry. Had an interesting piece about having to do with politics and beer and how uh, Breckenridge Brewery and Wincoop Brewery, which I didn't even realize that they had. They had they merged. Have, they have merged. They merged financial the the financial back end yes. uh, sometime last year, which I was surprised about. But there's an issue with them uh, wanting to expand, and they're running into a state law which which caps the amount of beer that a brew pub can legally brew if it wants to remain a brew pub. So what's what are, what are the details? So on? well, tomorrow is Breckenridge Brewery's 22nd anniversary. Wow. Uh, so this is a very timely newsy topic for us. Uh, what Basically what's happened is um, ever since back in the late 70s when Jimmy Carter signed into law that people could home brew, uh, there was established this system where... The greatest thing Jimmy Carter ever did, <laughs> by the way. Like the most enduring... That and his presence. Isn't that why he won <laughs> the Nobel... <laughs> Peace Prize? Didn't he win because of that? I think so. Okay. Um, it was something about that. I think so. Yes. No, anyway, there, at that time, they established a, uh, a system where, it, you know, there's a three-tiered system to alcohol sales. There are producers, there are distributors, and then there are retailers, people that actually sell it. And so for a long time here in Colorado, it was just that you had manufacturers like Coors uh, yep. that made the beer. And then those were allowed to sell their, sell their alcohol to wholesalers that would then sell to liquor stores or, or then bars. or they could sell directly to liquor stores themselves uh, or, or to bars restaurants yeah bars or restaurants but then uh, in the in the 90s they opened up they added they added this thing called the the brew pub uh, and the brew pub is a smaller situation you can't produce as much because really you're supposed to be a restaurant that has yeah. a focus on beer and you're kind of like a restaurant that's home brewing Right, and because it's a restaurant, uh, they then have they're sort of going through the loophole. There's no longer the three tiered system. They can directly distribute their own alcohol uh, because they have this place. They're sell they are a retail yep. seller as well. So they capped the number of barrels they could do. It's only sixty thousand barrels of beer uh, per brew pub. So Breckenridge Brewery 
has now has five of these as well as several yeah. restaurants. And when they merged with the Wincoop, that, it, it, this that includes Wincoop. Uh, they uh, each of those can produce sixty barrel sixty thousand barrels themselves, but uh, they wanted to expand and they they have this fifteen million dollar plan for this huge like a museum of, of beer and this giant restaurant and like I I don't even know like a theme park as far as I can tell just huge beer-themed place. And they couldn't do it if they went beyond the cap. They can't, they can't produce, they wanted to be able to produce 125,000 barrels per year in that, in that space. And they can't, they're not allowed so to they, do that. I'm confused though, because like, aren't like, aren't like the bigger, like, wait, like left hand's bigger. Uh, and they are just a manufacturer. They yeah. do not have And New Belgium too, right? New, New Belgium, yes. So what happened, it, it back in, but back they in, sell beer at there. They do, but not food. Not food. So that's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. You can't because you can have if a you, tasting room. You can yeah. have a tasting room. You can sell limited amounts, up to five hundred dollars worth to an individual uh, at your at the brewery. Yeah. But that's it. Yep. Okay. So back at yeah, back in. Go on. You, you well, I'm going to ask because they uh, Breckenridge Brewery, the ownership there, um, and from what I can tell, it must be a sort of a complicated ownership arrangement. This merger with uh, Wincoop, but they went and they wanted to change the state law, so they went to the legislature and said, "Let's remove this cap." But uh, what happened to that? Yeah, back back in April, uh, things were going great. Uh, they had changed uh, the the laws. The cap has been in place since 1995. Whenever the brew pub started getting bigger and it became an issue, they became concerned about it. And uh, Breckenridge Brewery came in. They proposed that they sort of got some uh, representatives to sponsor this bill. Yep. It went through the House perfectly. And then, oh, in May, does everybody remember what happened in May with the legislative session? Oh, there sure, was that. Sure. There was that. Uh, that yeah, the big uh, the that colossal big yeah. the colossal hubbub where it all shut down and all these bills got killed because uh, they let the time expire and they didn't pass these bills. So, in addition to civil unions and some of the other really big things that we were talking about, this was another one of those bills. And this that is so much died. more important. This is clearly <laughs> so much more. Yeah. Important. But what's interesting to me is that the opposition to this bill, because it probably would have passed, and and the owner. Um, What's his name? Ed Serkovnik of Breakfast yes. Brew was so angry about it. Like he's saying, well, now we're going to take our plans and we're going to move it out of state. That's it. I'm yeah. moving. He's sort of threatening immediately. He sort of backed away from that since then, apparently. But uh, the opposition to this, it came from, who would you imagine, the Anheuser-Busch, the Coors, the, Coors. the, the big mega breweries. Yes. But then also from uh, other craft breweries. New Belgium and Odell's were also yeah. against it because it does, it, in a way, it gives them an unfair advantage. Because they don't have to – Breckenridge Brewery, by having these brew pubs, does not have to go through the hoop of finding a wholesaler to get their product out to whoever they want to distribute it to. Uh, they, it does give them an unfair advantage uh, because they have this place. They've got a restaurant in place for it. So, I, I, you know, at first I was very upset about this, and I was like, this is stupid that they should just let it yep. raise the cap. Uh, up to 300,000 uh, barrels is what they want to raise it to. Um, but then it really it would only benefit Breckenridge Brewery, and yeah. it seems strange to pass a law point. that only benefits one yeah, person. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, yeah. My thought is like, okay, just just switch out the name. If basically like Coors want to pass some bill that just benefited them, everyone would be like, oh my god, no, this is this is, this is horrible. Well, but, that, I mean, that's the thing. This would benefit Coors because this would give Coors the ability it would give them the opportunity to open up a whole chain of brew pubs would in it? Colorado really? and completely steamroll everybody but, else out of but business then but aren't they way over oh, like 300,000 barrels anyways yeah. yes as a manufacturer but they could open a subsidiary yeah. that was a brew pub of, sure, of course nobody nobody would business. go to a Coors 
group yeah. up anyways. Well, uh, well <laughs> you know, I mean, if you so, called it so, Colorado Native, the, they would. The so, big, uh, the like, so, so, Vanessa, <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you think about the politics that's going on behind here? I mean, do you think it is uh, a case where, you know, Breckenridge and Wincoop want this one thing and would actually benefit consumers, but the other, you know, other bigger entities in this uh in this industry don't want it and I think they played it wrong uh bracketed as as a political play right they didn't they didn't get their campaign well organized to take it to the legislature so you're you're lobbying only the people who are voting on it but they should have really gotten they should have been talking to New Belgium and to Coors and to all of the smaller guys uh, before they took the vote, because now it, it's going to be more difficult for them to come together, right? You, yeah. You've got to keep the camaraderie going from the beginning. So I think that they made a mistake in that um, in that area. And, and I agree with Ron and 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 Joel. Like you, you, this this only is going to really benefit them. Nobody else is looking to get into the food and beer business together. They Should this cap pubs. be li- lifted, Ron? Well, the. Uh, uh, Good question, because here's the other catchy thing about this, and I think this might be a big reason why New Belgium and Odell's are against it, is that to raise that cap, in order to do that, they would also this would also be a way to sneak in the grocery sales situation, because essentially it would allow individual businesses to hold more than one liquor license, and that's when we get into the craziness, which is what makes Colorado unique. So we- Safeway will be <clears throat> brewing its own uh, Safeway brew Safeway. in the back of the store <laughs> in the meat section? <laughs> Sounds delicious. <laughs> select. Isn't that there? Safeway select. Brew. I think the cola. Oh, Kroger cola. Kroger beer. This is what, when I read this, uh, you know, it's a really convoluted story, It's very complex. But complex. it just gets back to me about how a lot of these regulations that are out there, a lot of these laws that this that are imposed at the state level, liquor laws, these old blue laws, it's so little about actually what consumers want no one here is no one in any of this process is really thinking about the consumers it's all of these this a certain industry and different business interests infighting with each other and wanting to get rid of regulations because it helps one sector or wanting to impose regulations because it protects them from uh you know outside um, yeah outside competition and nowhere in this entire process especially when it comes to uh uh, sales at uh supermarkets and large uh, chain liquor stores the craft brewers this entire time, they're saying this is going to destroy our industry. It's going to put these all these mo- little mom-and-pop liquor stores out of business, like Tipsy's down in uh, <laughs> Littleton or what's what's the gargantuan one up in uh, – in North Thornton, oh, what's it called? Dave Co. Liquor. Oh, I mean, yeah. the place oh, yeah. is like the place is like a Walmart. That's I mean, and, and so God bless to, it. To, and this is the so this is to me. It's like where this, these arguments get around. And it's like well. You know, would it really hurt craft brewers to not have mom and pop liquor stores? Because here's a case where one very large, you know, one, you know, brew pub, which is now sort of a chain of brew pubs, wants the chance to get even bigger. Yeah, no, I absolutely. I, oh, well, and interestingly enough, regardless of the law, the law is already so complex and so convoluted that uh, Breckenridge Brewing has already found a way around it. Last Friday, they have uh, they've restructured themselves in a way that they now uh, loan out. That they're going to be able to go ahead and build their new facility, and they'll be able to produce sixty thousand barrels for that place, and then switch over and do sixty thousand barrels for one of the other brew pubs that they own. So they will most likely shut down uh, beer brewing uh, up in Breckenridge, yep. the original place, which actually has superior beer, if you ask me. And uh, they'll shut it down, and they'll start producing the beer for uh, the Breckenridge plant. 
because they can do that. You can they they've set up a system where you can share a manufacturing uh, facility, you can share a factory together. Uh, so then they'll be able to do 120,000 barrels in one place. So yeah, yeah I think they found a way around like it anyway. Around. They were already doing this anyhow. All wine coop beer yep. is now produced on Calamath at the Breckenridge Brewery, and sacrilege, <clears throat> sacrilege, right? And and then I also discovered there's a, there's a Elysian Fields uh, Elysian Brewing up in Washington yep. State. It's all made here in Fort Collins. Uh, by and then that's it. That's it. I'm going back to my Mad well, Dog. Well, I mean, they, but they did the Breckenridge. <laughs> I know did. where Mad Dog comes from. That's that's, uh, that's all I care about. <laughs> I'm going back to that. Well, you original can ho- original you, craft brewing right yeah, you there. You can homebrew that. <laughs> uh, so they they did vow to sort of take this back to the legislature. They said they're going to go back. They're going to keep going. This, and maybe they'll come with more of a industry coalition that will, you know won't include any actual consumers um, at the table. But you know they'll find a way to work it out. I'm sure with the lobbying that goes on. But we'll post Jonathan Shikes uh, Westward. It article, is a great story. Um, he did right. In he did a great our, job. Uh, description on the on the DenverDiatribe.com. Uh, so. Uh, let me take a. We're about to take a quick break, but I have to say that this week's episode is brought to you by Free Speech TV at nfnradio.com. Don't forget to buy your tickets to the Laugh Track Comedy Festival on August second through fourth. Three days of comedy film screenings and stand-up comedians, and it's only here in Denver. A really cool event. We're going to be there. So should you. And uh, for more info and to get tickets, go to laughtrackcomedyfestival.com so we're going to take a quick musical break then we're going to be coming back with uh, to talk about the AV Club issue uh, with Mike King but the song that we're listening to right now it's uh, who is it Ron? Uh, Kill Our Friends Kill Our Friends by Joe Sampson and Nathaniel Raitland Raitland Let's parse what you read. You just didn't read it right. Oh, kill our friends tonight. Bury them out of sight. And it's one more night that just didn't pay off right. Oh, kill our friends tonight. And bury them out of sight. I don't know what you meant. You said that love should end. I don't know what got in your head when you said that I've never been. That was uh, a song by Nathaniel Rateliff and Joe Sampson, Kill Our Friends, which is very apropos for our next subject that we're going to be going <laughs> yes, into. Kill Our Friends Tonight <laughs> and Bury Them Out of Sight, right? Yes, the, the Onion AV Club. Uh, <clears throat> in Denver was closed down by oh. the Onion National and their uh, word has gotten out that they intend or somebody intends e- either way the archives all the online archives some 6,000 articles or probably more are just going to disappear into the internets and oh, we, we heard it was going to be this week but I, I'm looking right now on my phone and it's still there so and, the, and the overriding the, question that has always come up is like why it's why? just an online archive we can't figure out why this is happening so I'm excited that we have Mike King in the studio right now. He's a local visual designer and was also the last local production manager designer for the Denver Boulder Onion AV Club uh, before they restructured in the late 2009 and sold to the Denver Post. I'll let you explain that, Mike, but give us some uh, insights about how this relationship between the Denver Post, Onion AV Club, Onion National came about and why this will most likely result in them needing to 
disappear to, the archives. To disappear the archives, make them vanish. Um, so yeah, I, I joined up with The Onion in, I guess, about 2006. Um, and uh, I was there, there, you know, I was the guy who had to design the AV Club every right. week. And, you know, I worked like the editor. I worked with, uh, you know, Jason Heller for a while and then with Tuyet and uh, Tuyet Nguyen. And uh, did that for a while. But, but the history, the kind of how the AV Club works is when The Onion first started, they, uh, they, they first branched out with franchises, like way right. back in the day. Right, right, right. And the first two franchises were um, in Champlain, Illinois, and in Denver, Boulder. And the Denver Boulder paper turned out to be... And this was like in the early 2000s? Yeah, this was, this was like, I, I want to say it was the early 2000s, possibly even into the late 90s. Because I remember in, uh, when I was in college at CU Boulder mm-hmm. in the early 2000s, you know, we'd have the Onion newspaper there. But, and, but everyone thought that uh, it, was it, was, it, was, it was a Boulder thing. Like yeah. they made it, like the, yeah. they'd see the Onion AV Club offices there on mm-hmm. the hill and they'd be like, right. I'm going to go in and pitch my funny article. And it's like yeah. just some local sales guy. Yeah, it was the, uh, it was the two uh, Hawk brothers. The David and Jeff Hoft, who uh, were at the University of Wisconsin and uh, from Madison, and they knew the Onion there, and they came here and kind of started it up, and they really just kind of made it their own thing, and uh, and through the act of doing that, like they just kind of built this paper up, and the Denver Boulder paper was always like the most. You know, popular. Uh, inter- well, I shouldn't say popular, but profitable. When you just looked at the money. So they were licensing the sort mm-hmm. of national content, the yep. funny stuff that That's was being right. written out of uh, probably Wisconsin or New York at the yeah, time, yeah. and then they would get to keep all the local ad revenue, all the pizza shop uh, advertising. So they were sort of taking the the national public radio. Syndication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then when they when they introduced the AV Club, that kind of even boosted the popularity even more because that gave the paper like a real local spin of like local events, local culture, yes. and all that stuff. And about that time was when the Onion sort of bought all the franchises back. Yeah. It was they like, looked at it and said, whoa, this is kind of awesome. This is making money. This making is making money. money. So, yeah. so they bought it all back. And then, uh, of course, that was not knowing that in, you know, sort of the, the mid to late 2000s that the newspaper industry would implode in a great ball of crap but uh ball of burning newspaper print exactly um so yeah they they uh, that's when things started to get shaky and that's about when when i had to kind of duck out and meanwhile you know they bought Mm -hmm. up all these franchises so they had them in 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 approximately how many different cities they had them in about 11 cities yes uh before the franchise agreements they had you know like la uh san francisco new york madison milwaukee and would each one have its own local yep. staff where they'd be writing about you know concerts that are coming up interviewing local Faux show yeah they, they all had um all their all local editors local staff local interns local street teams because they wanted each one to have a real local bent right so they would do that and uh and i guess this trans this is a good way to segue into what happened then uh the Onion and the AV Club, they kind of operate independently in some regards, but they are, you know, they're bundled together. They have their own yeah. site. They have their, they're both in the physical paper. That's when the Onion offices began folding because of these issues. First was L.A., I think was one of the first ones to go. Right. Then um, uh, I think New York is still around, but they, they got rid of a lot of the local people and everything. Yeah. Basically receding all back to Chicago, correct? Yeah, and it yeah. all started to, to retreat back to Chicago, and then uh, – and then came the big decision that, that ultimately leads to the death of the AV Club here was the decision to sell to the Denver Post. Yeah, so explain a little okay. bit of that um, real quickly because we only have about 15 minutes left. Okay, yeah. But 
so the, this decision to sort of have what the, the advertising is now going to be sold by the Denver Post. Yeah, there's still some some Onion uh, ad execs who still you know ha- are still working at the Denver Post and working for the Onion now. But it was going back to the franchise agreement. So now all most of the Onion offices were franchised and sold out. Uh, the only one as of now that is still owned by the Onion Inc. is Milwaukee. And they're also one of the few that still has an AV club. All the AV clubs across the country. Are being so the Denver Post owned that uh, Onion it, franchise for Denver. Here in Denver, yeah. It was sold to them, and they operated it. They took over. We were already using them for the printing, and they, it was just a logical move, I guess. Yeah. They just came in and you know swooped in like Mother Hawk and took over and all this stuff. But uh, and I guess having an AV club was never a requirement. As part of these franchise deals mm. that the Onion farmed out to other people, okay. the AV Club was always like an add-on. Like, it's great, you know, but you don't have to do it. The Onion content is what you have to do. So it's it's one of those pieces that you could syndicate. You could add on. Like, if you want to have mm-hmm. Savage Love with Dan Savage, you, right. you buy right. that little piece and you get to keep it. Yeah, and and so Denver Post, like a lot of these other papers or paper-owned franchises around the country, have just started shutting down their. So, AV so clubs. the Denver Post is the one that decided to shut down the Denver AV. They club. decided they no longer wanted to do it. They no longer wanted okay. to support it financially. They no longer wanted to have the people. Or just maybe it was competing with their own stuff. I mean, sure. I really don't know. So then, when we hear this, all, all this chatter about, uh, so not only is it being shut down, we've talked yeah. a lot about that yes. and the reasons yes. why. I mean, it's. <laughs> But the archives. Uh, but the archives. Yeah. The fact that you have uh, articles going back to the early over six over six thousand articles just getting dropped and disappeared off the internet. Why is that happening? The, the reason it's happening is because that all those those actual physical uh, bits of data were hosted by Onion Incorporated okay. when they when they sold everything to the Denver Post. Um, Denver Post having to kill this AV stuff, they never had any hand in that kind of like legacy AV content from like many years ago. Right. They never owned it or anything. So they were just kind of handed a big pile like, oh, and here's these, you know, this server access that has all this stuff on it. But they don't want to upkeep it. They don't have the resources to upkeep it. Onion Incorporated doesn't want to upkeep it because they don't run the local AV clubs anymore. Mm -hmm. So these archives are left in limbo. Denver Post is killing the local AV club but they don't want to take over the hosting of all this data. Because it's right, unclear it who money. actually – well, it costs money, but is it is it also unclear who actually owns it? It's it's. I think legally, I think th- there's probably like a cutoff point. Like from this date forward, uh, Denver Post owns it. From this date back, Onion Inc. owns it. But it's this it's this uh, this little thing that answers to, to two masters and so therefore answers to none. It really wouldn't be – that expensive for someone to step in and host it, but no one wants that responsibility. But it's, so it's falling through the cracks. It's, it's I mean, it's someone cracks, would have to make yeah. a decision mm-hmm. to sort of to actively say to this actively is something say, we want to keep. Ra- rather now, it's like, well, we're <clears> just step. Well, both of us are stepping away from it, and this is what falls. And down. we're just going to let it die. So Vanessa, you've been uh, in your career. You've been involved with lots of publications. Started up. That uh, have failed. Uh, many publications I, that have come I up also and come down. have had uh, publications die on me <laughs> as well. Oh. Yes, and so. Uh, I'll, I'll get your take in a second, Ron, but what do you think about what, what's happening here? Well, I mean, as somebody who uh, m- the majority of my journalism career, right, was with two newspapers that I was the founding editor of that are, are no longer around. They were alt-weeklies in Fort Collins. Uh, both of them had digital um, archives at the time of their closure, but there was nobody to keep them up. So I now have nothing online. Um, the thing is that I wonder is would a library take them? I mean, when we started both of those papers, the Colorado Historical Society um, you know, their archives, they, they asked us for uh, hard copies of all of every yep. edition that we had. So did the local libraries. 
And um, I, I'm curious that if, if they now getting into digital archives would maybe want to host that it and seems maintain like it. It seems like someone would. It, it, I think that really all it would take is someone with enough space uh, you know, to host, which well, that's not so bad. Space is cheap, but would have to approach Denver Post and Onion Inc., together and kind of deal with them legally and say like look and because that's when it becomes you start talking with like they're legal like who owns what and all that stuff but if you could i don't see it seems almost punitive like back to yeah. you guys have said mm -hmm. this before it seems like like it's really not expensive to host you're not doing anything by you know letting someone archive well and back to your point vanessa and i think it's it's this brings it to this larger issue where we do have um you know lots of publications starting up and, and shutting down ones that you know had a print component and so maybe those would still exist in some form but you know we can imagine a time not too far away where most publications won't have a print form it's all going to yeah. be digital and the reason why um libraries and other institutions like historical societies would maintain would take all those clippings and they would scan them and they would put them in you know microfiche you know you can right. go yes. you can go to the top floor yeah. of the uh, denver public library and look through uh, and I've done this, look through newspapers of the Rocky Mountain News back in the 1920s and the 50s, and you're sitting there and you're scrolling through, and it's just scans of these things. And you're oh, like, yeah. I kept on like going there, and I was like, how, I want to find something from 1945, but how do I, how do I search a term? <laughs> and I'm like, God, you have to look at every single one. It's, it's awful. Where, where's the search function on these? But um, is it a public good um, and something that libraries should be or some other – third-party institution where there's it's clear that they're hosting these they're maintaining these digital archives to keep that information available and open and should should we look to institutions like that yes absolutely i mean this is these are first of all real journalists and 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 vetted writers who have oh, yeah. provided this institutional history of um uh, of culture in our state and that needs to be kept and maintained somewhere. Somebody will find, I mean, that's going to be a value to a lot of people at some point somewhere down the road. And there's actually an organization I just read about in Austin that's buying up archives like this and mm -hmm. host and, and maintaining them now. Um, I think it, it actually is more of, I think they're buying fiction writing okay. or some, or some yeah. creative nonfiction pieces um, and buying the rights to that stuff just so they can have them for the future because they think somebody's going to come, come out and want them. So I know it, it's, it's possible. That's, that's a nonprofit operation. But we want to have this institutional history, right? We don't, wanna, we don't want it to go away. We need to have um, – it, yeah. it, it's different because it's not public information in terms of is it something that the public needs to and has a right to know. This is not something right. that you're going to FOIA. But it is. Um, it, it, it definitely has. Well, has a and place. so uh, before we move on to love and hate, this brings us to then the question, Ron. <laughs> and I'll put it out to you, Mike. Is well, if we are looking for these things to exist online, we can't. You know, we, no matter what the business situation is between the Post and the Onion AV Club, if this, if it is no one's responsibility, is it the responsibility of people who care about a city and care about this type of information being available to then find ways to keep that available? And Ron, we've had a lot of, uh, <laughs> we've had a lot of interest because uh, on I, on Twitter we've been, we've yeah, been harping about this. I just I just posted a few things sort of uh, on Twitter about this, complaining via the Denver Diatribe uh, Twitter account and. Folks responded very strongly, quickly there and on Facebook, and I we immediately started getting emails. Uh, even I, folks in Sweden uh, saying, "I've got a copy of the entire AV Club Denver archives for you. Where should wow. give me give me? I got a link. It's on Dropbox. Just here it is. 
here, come get it. So people and, going and other out, people saying, I'm downloading a copy right now. Yeah, I'm people going out and right you're just now. like, go and there's there's tools that you can just slurp down an entire archive. Yes. Of, uh, yeah. There apparently files. there are, there are no shortage of uh, programs out there, software that you can download onto your computer and it will. It'll eat a website. It'll suck it up and uh, make a copy of it for you that you can keep yourself. I'm not not saying that's a great idea, <laughs> uh, but I, I, you know, as far as we were talking about who owns it, I really do believe if you're going to delete content like that, it belongs to the original creator. I think it belongs to the original author of the of the content. Yep. And it should go back to them. And if it doesn't go back to them, then it should be uh, be given to the people of and, Denver. And, and yes. if anything, it's, it's an interesting test because we are at a point where, you know, who owns this content? If right. you sort of leave it behind, uh, do you need to get permission? Can we just start hosting this up? Yeah, if but, you don't want it, can we just have it? Because, I mean, I'll, I'll put it out there right now. I'll, we'd love to have it. Because 6,000 extra articles on denverdiatribe.com <laughs> okay. uh, to drive web traffic to us. That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. I'll, I'll take it. I mean, if nobody else wants it, I, I'm raising my hand so, now. I so, want uh, Mike, I'll, I'll give you the last word on this. Okay. Is it sort of up to uh, people here in Denver if, if there is no situation where this stuff can be up and yeah, online? Should we take it upon ourselves to find a way to make this survive? Yeah, it's up to us because this this the Onion AV Club, Denver Boulder AV Club archives are – a casualty of these all these business uh, machineries in motion and if you go to an onion and you open up the front cover or the front page and then look and you'll see the, the little staff masthead that shows all the writers mm -hmm. and there's there's email addresses in there and phone numbers for onion incorporated feel free to write to them feel free to let them know you know the CEO Steve yeah. Hanna he's very easy to find um, like all the infos in the paper find them and let them know let them know on Twitter let them know everywhere and just let them know that we don't want to we don't want to see it go Okay, there you go. So, uh, listeners out there, let us know what, what you think about this topic. Should uh, should Denverites or people everywhere take a take a stand and step up and host this stuff ourselves if no one else is going to do it? Uh, drop us a line at uh, at Denver Diatribe, our website, denverdiatribe.com, or send us an email, info uh, at Denver Diatribe. It's time for Love and Hate. Vanessa? I'm going to give some love to uh, wildfiretees.com. Uh, where you can buy T-shirts that uh, where the proceeds will be donated to various organizations. You can also buy a T-shirt for a firefighter. Nice. Lovely. Mm -hmm. Ron? Uh, I'm going to love on the 30th anniversary of the Colorado Gay Rodeo on July 13th to 15th at Jeffco County Fairgrounds. Not only do they have the regular greatness of bull riding and team roping, but they also have wild drag racing, uh, steer decorating, and goat dressing. So wow, good steer times. decorating. Steer decorating, right? <laughs> so you so you can only decorate a steer, but you can dress a goat. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, well, yes. Okay, hot couture for goats. There you go, <laughs> Mike King. Uh, do you have a love or hate for us? Yeah, I have a love, and this is a uh, not a not a commercial pitch, but uh, again, the Laugh Track Comedy Festival is coming up, yes. and I want to give some love to that because Denver's comedy scene is incredible, and like you talk to people in New York, I do a lot of design for Denver's comedy scene, and then I talk to people in New York and L.A., and they know all these people. Like these, There's a lot of stuff going on here right now, so we're hot shit. Love to that, damn mm -hmm. straight. There you go. Well, uh, I want to I give a hate because I woke up on the 4th of July Wednesday, and there was this little American flag stuck in my, uh, in, in my yard. 
and I look, I go outside and I look down the block and they're stuck all the way up and down the block. I thought maybe it was a, a very patriotic neighbor going through, but actually it was a, a marketing campaign by a local realtor. Oh. Business card, and they went that through the entire cool. neighborhood and it's kind of like, well, they leave shit like stuck in your in your door slats, and that's annoying. They find other ways to like give you little things, flag but it's abuse. like, but since it's a flag, it's like you're not you feel bad that just going and pitching it in the trash like you would anything else. It's like wrapped up in patriotism. Uh, uh, it must have cost them a lot, but uh, I was just a little bit irritated by that. Yeah, boo. Yeah, that, that's ugly. Okay, great. Well, uh, Mike King, uh, thanks for joining us. Your website, velveteenrobot.com. That's it. Twitter handle at infinite chicken. That's me. So it's a little blue. It's yeah. okay. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you guys. All right. So that's uh, all the love and hate we have for this week. If you'd like to share uh, your own little love and hate, please leave us a brief message at 720-282-YELL, 720-282-9355. Our theme music is by the band Houses, and our web hosting is provided by BlueChannel.com. We broadcast live every Friday morning at 9 a.m. on NFNRadio.com. You can always listen to our past episodes on demand by subscribing to our podcast, and I think we still have some tickets to go away, so get on there. Really easy to subscribe via email or other ways. Uh, And uh, you can do that by going to DenverDiatribe.com. Or search for Denver Diatribe on Twitter or Facebook. I'm Jared. On behalf of Vanessa, Ron, and Mike, thanks for listening. Thank you.